Good morning, Southridge. I'm glad that you're here. I hope that you're glad you're here. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're, we are so grateful you found the courage to come to a church at a theater, and we hope that you were welcomed and greeted kindly. If you are uh, walking in late and you missed the announcements, we do the announcements right away via video, so make sure you're here on time. And there was a couple things uh, to point out. The first was that after the service, you'll have an opportunity to give your $1 offering. Besides your regular tithes and offerings, every fifth Sunday we do a, a dollar offering, and it goes toward a mission agency or a ministry we support locally or globally. And today is an opportunity to give a dollar toward the Reclaim Ministry, which assists people in adoption. So don't forget that on your way out. Also, on October, the middle Sunday of October is at the um, 13th. We are having uh, one service only, and it's at 10 a.m. that day, and it'll be right over here outside. And so it'll be a special time for a church. We've never done an outdoor service before. All the children are welcome to be there, and so there'll be a time of worship, and there'll be a full message, and it'll also be a time for baptism. So if you are a believer, if you have a testimony of faith and you've never been baptized and the Scriptures instruct, we encourage you to get baptized on that day. In fact, if you're interested, just write down on your connection card, I'm interested in baptism, someone contact me, and we will. But it should be a great time of fellowship with one another. So some great things have been happening. Celebrate Recovery had a great uh, barbecue Thursday night. Lots of people came and more and more people are experiencing freedom through Celebrate Recovery. Last week we had an opportunity for our e-group expo in the hallway. Um, we had uh, over 140 people join a group. So that means they joined a Bible study, they can learn how to encounter God, or they join an embrace group, they can encourage one another with other believers, or they join an engaged group, something they can do to serve our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm really excited about things that are going. I don't know if you can tell. <sighs> And this morning, we're continuing our series called Movement, which is really the study of the book of Acts. And as, uh, as we do, we want to make much of the Lord, and we're going to ask Him to be our teacher. So if you're new to Southbridge, this is what you need to know. Um, some things might be different every week. The songs we choose are different, and how we play them might be different. There might be different events going on. But the constant is this. We're going to make much of Jesus, and we're going to study God's Word together. We're going to try to encourage one another. We're not going to placate to one another. We're going to ask God to teach us, guide us, instruct us, confront us, admonish us. So let's pray right now and ask God to do that as we open his word. Lord, this morning, thank you for this time. Thank you for this place that we can meet in. Thank you for each person that's here, Lord. We believe that no one is here by mistake. Thank you for allowing us to know you. Uh, We hope, Lord, that our song and our worship is pleasing to you as we pronounce the gospel back to you. Lord, as we open up your word, would you guide and instruct us this morning? Would you allow us to have an encounter with you? By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you change us as a result of getting to know you better? Or would you enable us to live lives of, of influence, lives that are used as instruments to connect people to you? And Lord, we just uh, care so much about our city that we want to see many come to know you. Lord, I pray for other churches that are meeting right now or probably at 11 o'clock, as other churches do, Lord, that they would boldly proclaim the gospel and that you'd keep them unified, keep them from sin, and that today would be a day of um, great transformation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures, then turn to Acts chapter 14, as we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. And we've really seen a theme here. And the theme has been, uh, from the beginning, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we saw that Jesus Christ was sending on his disciples to be witnesses throughout the, throughout the world. And now it's actually happening. When you get to Acts chapter 14, we see that not only the disciples were doing that, but then disciples of disciples were doing that. And it's now spread beyond Jerusalem, beyond the walls of Jerusalem, to other places, provinces, and regions. So it's happening. And what we see at the end of each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the Great Commission that we're supposed to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who will in turn make disciples. 
And it's happening, and it's happening. And today's text is not unlike, double negative I guess, is like ones that we've seen in the past, where we see apostles, Paul and Barnabas, go to a city, they proclaim the gospel, some believe and some don't, and they experience some opposition. So it's the same message in some regard, but there's something that I think sticks out this time, and I'd like for us to spend some time on that this morning. So I'm going to read the whole text for us. It's Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. We've seen this before. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace, that is the Lord, by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders, just like we've seen other disciples do and Jesus Christ himself. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and to stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. So this text is similar to other ones that we've seen where Paul and Barnabas go into a region, they don't know these people, and they walk right into synagogue. And when given the opportunity, as was a custom, if you were a trained person, a learned person, the leaders of the local synagogue would often invite guests to speak. Should I pick on anybody today? That's what would happen. And so Paul and Barnabas would take advantage of the opportunity and then blow out the gospel. Amazing. And this morning, I really want to focus on the fact that the apostles really were living boldly for the Lord. The scripture tells us that they spoke boldly for the Lord, but I think their whole lives are bold, don't you? Something that I'm sure that all believers desire to do, and that is to live boldly for the Lord. And so the question I really want us to answer this morning is, is where does such boldness come from? Some of us, I, I imagine, if you're like me, really struggle with boldness really struggle with not wanting to ruffle the feathers and not wanting to cause any problems. And yet, how do we share the gospel then? It's difficult, isn't it? And so maybe this message is for you. We know that boldness has come to mean, typically defined as the trait of being willing to undertake things that involve risk or danger. But boldness can mean lots of things. Boldness can be considered being fearless, courageous, or forward. A bold person may be willing to uh, risk rejection in a social situation. Or maybe boldness can be defined as um, bending the unstated rules of politeness. The other day I was watching a documentary on sushi. I don't know why. I don't like sushi. But I was just in one of those trances, amusement um, that you have with TV. That's not true. I like sushi. Take away the seaweed, the rice and the fish, and put steak and potatoes in it. And it's awesome. Yeah. But there's thoughts about the sushi that the different chefs would use bold flavors. So now we're using a word to modify food, bold, as we do people. So what is boldness in the end? How would you define it? Excessive boldness can be regarded as arrogance. And the question really for today as we look at this account, a simple account of some people doing what God told all believers to do, and that is to share the gospel. I think what sticks out is their boldness. How would you define the kind of boldness characterized by the apostles? Chapter 14 shows us the boldness of the apostles as they go place to place preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this boldness is a boldness and it's defined, characterized as this, as boldness for the Lord. 
So let's go verse to verse through our text and consider where does boldness come from. Join me, will you? Verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue, and there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Isn't it a form of boldness that allows Paul and Barnabas to walk to far-off cities? We've read in Paul's um, biography before that he traveled over mountains, and he was in danger of bandits and robbers and all these things. This place was 80 miles from the last city we saw them. Pisidian Antioch. So they traveled 80 miles southeast to get to this place to go to people they don't know to walk into a Jewish synagogue. Talk about the opposite of gospel invitation. Okay, they're not really excited to have speakers coming and talk, say that Jesus is the way. And here they go. Amazing, isn't it? And what was the result? Did you catch it in the first verse? Can you say it? And many believed. Wow. I mean, these guys are bold. They don't just take the dangerous tracks, but they walk into a dangerous place, a dangerous unwelcoming scenario you would think and they take full advantage of the opportunity that's given them to make the gospel of jesus christ known this is boldness isn't it and this is a characteristic that i think most believers would like to have in order to accomplish the great commission that all believers have been set on if you're a christian you have a mission and your mission is to make disciples did you know that it's not the pastor's job only or the really super spiritual paul and barnabas aren't unique people they're people like you they're humans they make mistakes they do dumb things they're not perfect They're just willing to be used by God. Paul actually said before that he's not a trained speaker. So it's not like he's depending upon his his ability as a great orator to guilt a heart to change or to debate someone into heaven. I mean, this is a God-sized thing that's happening and a God-sized boldness. Wouldn't you love to have it? To accomplish the mission that you're to be on? The scripture tells us that the result of their effective and compelling message, and I wonder what was so effective of it. What illustrations did they use? Did they have PowerPoint? Some of us grew up with flannel graph, moving all the pieces. And so you see, Jesus fulfills the promise, and they go, oh, yeah, I get it now. What was so effective about their teaching? I think it was simply that the Holy Spirit was with them. Because the Spirit is what changes a heart. Not someone outwitting someone, putting them into a theological corner, now you're stuck, you have to agree with me. No. And the result of this, of this amazing and compelling message, the scripture tells us that a great number of Jews and God-fearing then Gentiles believed. However, not everyone believed, did they? Look at the next verse. Verse 2. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So the Jews who did not believe were bothered by this out-of-town team coming here into their place with this message. And why would they be bothered? The answer is this, loved ones, because the gospel message opposes a self-righteousness message. And what the Jews were teaching to one another is, make sure you follow the laws so that in the end, when you're good enough, then you'll be brought into God's kingdom. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, their own law would teach them that they cannot be good enough. They need God's grace desperately. They need a Savior. And so Paul and Barnabas are saying, yes, you need a Savior, and the Savior is coming, it's Jesus Christ. So why would some Jews not believe? Well, because you're messing up our system. We like how things are going here. We do the seven things we ought to do. We don't do the things we ought not to do, and it's going just fine. Why are you messing with our city? Why are you messing with our church, our synagogue? And so these unbelieving Jews make their way to God-fearing Gentiles, meaning Gentiles that believe that a God existed. And the text says, poison their minds. Did you catch that? That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? They poison their minds. That would have been something like this, and I wondered, how did they do that? What did they say? And I'm guessing it would be something like, hey, these guys are, are, these guys are disrupting our town, you know? 
how we do life. And we don't need any of that. Things have been pretty good before Paul and Barnabas ever came here. Everything was fine. So really what we see here is that the text relays uh, both the history of acceptance and opposition to the message. And that's true today, isn't it? All the way to 2013. Some will accept and some will oppose. And the battle was really this. By those that didn't believe, with those that did believe, the battle was this. The gospel of Jesus Christ versus the message of human righteousness. And that's a poison in our mind. And think about today, in 2013, what poisons exist in people's minds that are anti-gospel? What poisons are in the mind of people that would be oppositional to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace and love of Jesus Christ? I'll give you a few, and you start thinking too. Think about the world in which you live. And for those of you that share with other, other people, those that don't know Christ, you may have seen some of these before. And maybe you're a guest with us today, and you hold some of these poisons in your mind. Something like this. Would this be considered a poison? Um, I'm good enough on my own. See, most people have a view. Most people believe that heaven exists. Did you know that? About 90% of people believe that a heaven exists. 50% believe maybe a hell exists. And of those 90%, most of them believe they're going there. And if you ask them, how do you know you're going there? The answer is usually this. I'm a pretty good person. And the standard is usually this, murder. If you haven't murdered someone, you're heaven bound. So the standard's pretty low, isn't it? But who told you that? Who told, who told you that being good enough is what gets you into heaven? It's an assumption. What authority told you that? See, the gospel says this, that no one is heaven bound. In fact, everyone is an enemy of God. But God, who is rich in love and mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who took on our punishment upon himself. He died. He took on our shame. He took on the punishment of our sin on himself. But he rose again. So that anyone who puts their faith in him for their, on their account doesn't have to be separated from God forever, forever and ever, but to be with him. See, that opposes the poison, doesn't it, of I'm good enough on my own. In fact, the Bible's clear. What we bring to the table is nothing spiritually. And Jesus brings everything. It was because Jesus was good enough on his own that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. Is this a poison that exists? Have you encountered this one before? I'm too bad for Jesus. This happens in church oftentimes where people come to church because they, they want a connection with God, but they see the people that around them and they think those people are perfect. Anyone here like that? There's some of you, I guess. And so the person who has the I'm too bad for God view, or I'm the too bad for Jesus view, they think their sin puts them too far out of reach of God's power. That's a poison, because what they're saying is that God's not powerful. That Christ's salvation, Christ's love can't quite reach them because they did one too many naughty things. That's a form of self-righteousness, actually. To say I'm too good for God or I'm too bad for God is self-righteousness. That's poison. Have you met that before? Hmm. Is this a poison? You know, Jesus is just one way to heaven. So the first time I ever, one of the first times I ever shared the gospel was in New York City, and I, I um, met a Hindu person, and they believe that there's many ladders to heaven. And they said that in response to the fact that I said, well, Jesus, um, he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And then he said, well, there's many ways to heaven. And I asked as a 16-year-old to him, so not very smart, not very learned, who told you there's many ladders? How did you... Who had the key to that? How did you find that out? And the answer simply was, I just believe that no one told me. And I said, well, I'm telling you this is what Jesus said. It's not really me. It's just quoted as what he said. So now we have a problem. Jesus is saying he's the only way. And there's a view that says there's lots of ways. Which one would you go with? That's a poison that exists today. Have you encountered this one before? Maybe you've battled this one, this poison before. There's no meaning to life. I would call that what the world would call depression. I think the scripture is called hopelessness. 
that's hopelessness, isn't there? Isn't it? Have you met someone before who's living in hopelessness? There's no hope for any value past this life. And it doesn't matter what I do, how I live, none of it has meaning. And that's a poison. That's, a, that's toxic, isn't it? And that spreads. That toxicity spreads to other people. How about one more? Do you have some come into your mind too? What are the poisons that exist today in people's minds that are anti-gospel, that oppose the gospel? One more. There is no God. There's a lot of people that believe that. We, we have people here in Raleigh that believe that, don't we? Ask, who told you? Who told you there wasn't? On what authority have you come to understand that? So if there's no God, there's no, I have no accountability to anything, and so I am my God. I will run my life, and you know, it's heavy, isn't it? And so what we see here for Paul and Barnabas is they're now engaging a people some believed and many didn't, and then the ones that didn't, they're trying to influence other people, poisoning their minds against these two guys as if they're the bad guys. But they're trying to bring a message of hope, of freedom, of salvation, not one of religious um, effort, not one of do-goodness. But some of these people don't like that. So how do Paul and Barnabas respond? Look at verse 3. And this is the verse for today, I think. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So Paul and Barnabas experience some opposition and what do they do? Well, they draw their swords and they're going to chop down anybody that doesn't believe. Nope, that's not what it says. They don't do that. We don't see great arguments and debates here. We don't see any anger by Paul and Barnabas. What do we see? It just says, in light of that or so, they stayed there. And they spoke boldly for the Lord, and then the Lord affirmed their message by allowing these apostles to do miracles. This is amazing to me. Now back to the beginning of the message. Remember, there's lots of, there's lots of ways to describe boldness and being bold for the Lord, which I think these guys are doing, and they're speaking boldly for the Lord and living boldly for the Lord. I think that's entirely unique than simply being forward, brazen, impudent, or self-reliant, wouldn't you? But yet, all we have the word is the word bold. There is a difference. There's a difference between being forward in life or presumptuous of someone, which would be a form of boldness, and being bold for the Lord. And I would suggest the difference is simply this. It's the desired outcome. The desired outcome is what makes someone bold or bold for the Lord different. So that means it's not about me getting what I want or getting... um, or me just living for myself, but it's about God getting what he wants through me and for me. So let's talk about some examples of boldness in life just to showcase the differences again because we want to amplify boldness for the Lord versus just being a jerk, <laughs> right? Just being arrogant. So here's some examples. I've seen this before, um, examples of boldness in life. Um, so from time to time, I like to go to the movies and this place kind of transforms when it's not full of um, believers and things. And this is the movie theater I come to and I try to support the movie theater that um, we also meet at and try to meet people and uh, one time I tried to bring a Dairy Queen shake into the theater when I went to the movies and the people stopped me at the door and said no you can't have that because it infringes upon their making money did you know that sometimes sodas at theaters cost you know as much as a new car okay yeah and the old popcorn costs as you know, much as a house all those things I might be embellishing so I tried to come with my shake no you need to drink that so I'm drinking my large shake because I get large they ask you what you want, and I said I should probably get large. That's how I say it every time. I should probably. I should probably have cheese and bacon on that. Not on the shake, but maybe. 
so I have to stand outside. But my friend, and I've been to a movie with one of my friends before, well, he'll bring a large pizza in like this to the theater, give his ticket to the taker, and they'll let him come in. And I'm outside drinking my shake. How is it possible? Do you know what the answer is? I ask them, how did you do that? And they say this, it's just confidence. Act like you know what you're doing. This is what I do. I'd be like hiding the pizza in, covering my face. I feel bad. I feel bad I'm not spending money here. And that's a form of boldness, isn't it? How about another one? Do you have a friend that seems to get upgrades in everything they buy? I have a friend when he goes to the hotel, when he goes to check in, it's always, hey, do you think we can upgrade that to a suite? And it's almost always this. Yeah, I think we can do that. Click, 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 click. Yeah, you're in. When I do, it's like, do you think that maybe next time we come, that maybe possible we can have a better room than the conjoined room with pets? No, sir. That's a form of boldness, asking for things. I, I don't even have the kind of boldness that when someone gets my meal wrong at a restaurant, I don't hardly ever send it back because I feel bad. And my friend's like, you ordered it. Scott's been good like this since 1997. I've known Scott, our lead pastor. He'll take my meal and say, please make this right. It's great to have a friend like that. But I feel bad for the chef, and I don't want to bother anybody. Form of boldness. Earlier this uh, September, my family went um, to Emerald Isle, to the beach there. And uh, there's an aquarium out that way. And we went to the aquarium, and at 5 o'clock they had feeding time. And I saw people get in the tank to feed sharks like this. That is a form of boldness. They're doing it on purpose. It wasn't a punishment. That's bold, isn't it? But to showcase the difference between the kinds of boldnesses that exist in our life, some of you have them, some of us don't have them. I want to give you a couple Old Testament examples just talking about boldness. And here's a couple, ready? Here's the first one. You might know this story. This story might be hidden in your heart. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it's the story of David versus Goliath. Do you know this one? So David was the shepherd boy, and he was um, visiting his brothers who were in the army of the Lord. And the army of the Lord were opposing the Philistines, and the Philistines had sent out their champion. This was in the Valley of Elah. I've been there before. It's a real place. We know that David drew a couple stones, and he was going to go confront their main champion. How did he do that? Here's what the scriptures have to say, what David basically has to say to the Philistines, and specifically to Goliath. And you tell me if this is the same as asking for an upgrade at the hotel. David said to the Philistines, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. See, what was the difference between the kind of boldnesses I talked about earlier and this kind? I think it's the desired outcome. And David's not talking about, so everyone will know how awesome of a warrior I am without having to wear any armor. So my brothers will finally respect me. Or so that the king will like me and I'll be able to be king someday. None of that. It's all about the Lord. So David sees an opportunity to showcase the Lord's glory There's someone opposing the truth. There's someone that's opposing God's will. And so David's going to be about that. And this is a teenager. This is a kid who wasn't big enough to wear the king's armor. Amazing, right? Different. Isn't it different? How about another example? Some teens again. Showcasing that the Lord uses teenagers. You don't have to wait until you're out of college to be used by God. There's these three boys. They've been taken captive out of their land. And the king of the new land really thinks these kids are sharp. 
But in time, that king who believes in the value of himself and his kingdom and how awesome he is, he sets up a large statue, and at the appointed time when all the instruments ring out, all the people of the land are supposed to bow and worship this created thing. Have you heard this story before? It's real. It's a real place. And so we see this account in Daniel chapter 3. Can we read it together? So the king, who is Nebuchadnezzar, maybe you've heard of him before, said to them, and it's to these three boys with their new names that were given to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? They've already been um, ignoring the rule. And these guys have been pleasant to be around. They've been great advisors. They've been good guys. But when it came time to worship the Lord or to worship the gods, they couldn't do it. So the king continues. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. I'm giving you one more shot. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. We can't have this insubordination here. So then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I'm the God. I'm the one. I'm giving you one last shot. So what would three youth do in response to a powerful king? Here is the answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. <laughs> Sounds like wisdom, right? Coming out of youth. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. This is my favorite part. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. That's it. So what are you going to do now? See, they, they had a confidence in who the Lord was, but it wasn't guaranteed that they'd be rescued. They are so committed to the Lord. This is such a kind of boldness. They're so bold for the Lord that they're willing to die then. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that different? Is it a bit different than bringing in a large pizza to the movie theater? It's not the same, right? But all we have is the word bold. That's all we have. There's a difference. And the truth is that most of us will not face a giant like David, and most of us won't face the threat of a burning furnace. But we have an opportunity every day to live boldly for the Lord, which is different than just being bold, forward, curt, those things. And the difference is that the desired outcome in living boldly for the Lord is the glory of God. You know you're living boldly for the Lord when the motive of your actions is for the glory of God. And it's usually related, usually related to speaking the truth or not compromising like the three boys didn't. It's usually related to justice and the love for others. That's usually what it's related to. It's not related to, I want more money. I'm bold to go rob the bank so I have more money. For the Lord, I've got more money. Like Robin Hood or something. You won't violate God's structures and commands to then try to live for the glory of God. That would be rebellion. But I think it's this kind of boldness that Paul and Barnabas had, don't you? They were bold for the Lord because their motives and their desired outcome was for the glory of God and for the sake of others. And I think it's true for anyone that desires to live boldly for the Lord. That's what it will look like. And I think most of us, I'm guessing, if you're a believer, you'd like to live that way, wouldn't you? But it's so hard because we try to put ourselves in that position. What would I do? And the answer is, I don't know. I hope right now. I hope that I would live boldly for the Lord. So what I'd like to do with the remaining time we have left is I just want to consider for a bit what brings about boldness in the life of a believer. And if you're a note taker, this is the time to take some notes, okay? 
So we're going to look at some scripture together that are related to where boldness is fostered. So the first scripture is Hebrews chapter 13, and we're not sure who the author is. Many people believe it's Paul. And we've been focusing on Paul. The next scriptures I'll be looking at were definitely from Paul. But we're looking at considering where does this boldness come from? How is it fostered? And I think there's some strong answers in scripture. And hopefully if you take time to put these in your life, apply them to your life, pour over them, talk to the Lord about them, you'll start seeing a new boldness from you. Not an arrogance, not rude, because love isn't rude, the scriptures tell us, but a true boldness for the Lord. And the first is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, and I think it informs boldness when we read, So we say with confidence, so in light of what God has done and who Jesus is, the first 13 chapters of Hebrews, we can say this then, when we go to live the Christian life, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can, what can man do to me? What a big thing to say. So what's the first thing? I think the first thing that we can consider when we're looking at how can we grow in boldness is simply this, confidence in God's character. What did that scripture say? The scripture talked about God's character as being a helper. When you know who the Lord is, when you've gotten to know him, you know then, when you're living your life, who is for you and who you're with. So when you consider the Lord, which of his characteristics encourage you and enrich your life and embolden you? His might, his strength, his power, his care. These are all things of who he is. His love. So one thing that will help inform your boldness in this life as you do life at home and at work and at school, wherever you go, when you're eating at the restaurant and an opportunity comes to share the gospel with somebody, you can have a boldness because you have confidence in God's character. That he's a helper. It's trusting in his sovereignty and his power. Now the truth is this. For every good thing that helps encourage boldness, there's something that opposes that. Just like the Jews opposing the apostles, just like the Jews, filling the Gentiles' minds, poisoning their minds against them. There's a poison to confidence in God's character, and it's simply this, fear. What is its opposite? Fear. Fear poisons confidence. It can be the fear of man. Some of us really struggle with that, don't we? We'll share with strangers, but we can't share with the person that we really love because we're afraid we're going to lose them. That's fear, a fear-based way of doing life. I can't confront this thing that I know is wrong because I don't want to cause any ruffles and I'll just be quiet. And see, I used to think that that was meekness. Meekness meant not having a fight. I can't stand fighting with people. I hate dissonance. And I will have a, I'll have fake peace if I need to, which isn't biblical at all. Fake peace is like no one stands up for the truth and it kind of just kind of gliding through life and not causing problems. But that's fear-based living. Perfect love drives out fear, the scriptures say. And we know that God is love. So by his character, by the fact that he loves me, and I know that I'm his, that should give me confidence then to be bold for the Lord. Not confidence to be a jerk. I'm not trying to start fights, right? But I'm trying to encourage people to know the Lord. I want people to know the gospel. But for many of us, the fear of others, the fear of loss is so high. The poison is so thick in our minds that we're not sure if we can have confidence in God's character, but that means we're messed up, doesn't it? We've placed people above God. So when, when people are big, God is small. When people are our king, when people are our Lord, then God isn't. So to be honest with you, it's nothing for me really to share one to five hundred that I can't see because lights are in my face. <laughs> sometimes I confess some sin in front of you, and that's hard and embarrassing sometimes. But I'm not, I'm not really losing much in the way of relationship. But sharing with my cousin who doesn't know Christ... It's hard for me. Talking to someone who I think is way smarter than me is hard for me. But that, would th that makes me think that I have to be sharp in order to 
convince someone to know Christ instead of the, just telling the gospel and the Spirit convincing someone. Hmm? So I will be insecure. You will be insecure when you look at yourself and what you bring to the table. But security and being bold for the Lord grows because you've got confidence in the Lord. That the Lord cares about this person that you're trying to share the gospel with. Is this helpful? So are you getting to know the Lord? So this takes Bible study time. This takes devotional living very differently now. It's not reading so many chapters so God's proud of me, <laughs> which is a form of legalism and anti-gospel. I now take in God's word so I get to know him so that when I go to do life, I know who the Lord is. And so these three boys, they, get thrown, they know who God is. Are they going to bow to Nebuchadnezzar and then disassociate themselves with God? No way, because God trumps Nebuchadnezzar, right? Is David going to say, you know what, Goliath is really intimidating? His spear is the size of a weaver's beam. Let's hide. No, Goliath's a made man. He's going to die either now or later. God is my God. I will not, I will not disassociate myself from God. I'm going to get to know God. Hmm. So if you're struggling with fear, if you struggle with the fear of man like I do, you used to think that meekness was being quiet. Meekness actually means this, power under restraint. That's Jesus, isn't it? Who is creator, but he doesn't just extinguish everybody that disagrees with him. Power under restraint. We've got to fly here. Here's another one. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. It'll be on the screen for you. This is from the Apostle Paul for sure. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very... That's the verse to hide in your heart. What encourages their boldness, loved ones? Can you answer out loud? Hope. So another thing that helps inform your boldness is this, hope in God's promises. The word therefore means, in light of the first three chapters, in light of what God has said as the covenant, the new covenant that can be found through Jesus Christ, in light of that promise, we have hope, and because of that hope, we're going to be bold. So that's like saying this, I can share with my friends that don't know Christ or my family members, or I can be bold with someone concerning the truth of the gospel and live boldly, not argumentatively, but boldly and confidently, calmly and with great love. And if they don't accept me or like me or if they hate me or criticize me or take my life, it's okay because I'm going to heaven. That's part of the promise. I have hope in the promise that I'm going to heaven. And let me tell you this with loved ones. When I meet with people and things are kind of getting crazy, people are arguing or things are rough or I know we're just not agreeing, I fret over that because I want to be liked, but this is what I'm telling myself. I'm going to heaven. Maybe right now. I don't know. I'm going to heaven. And peace just wells over me. It's okay. Jason, do the part you're supposed to do. If you don't, just tell them you don't know everything. And tell them, hey, let's go find that out together. You don't, don't, don't be proud. Don't act like you know everything. But tell them what you do know. Share your testimony. You're going to heaven. Hope in God's promises then informs our boldness. Hope grows as we place our faith in God's promises and self, that salvation is permanent. That there's nothing I can do to become unadopted or unsealed. So I'm in God's family. And what can anybody do to me to take me out? Nothing. And we're trying to invite more people to know that. We're trying to invite more people into that family to be adopted by the Lord. So what's its opposite? What's the poison that tries to extinguish hope? And the answer is this, doubt. Doubt poisons hope. You can write that down. And maybe you battle with this. Have you ever said these phrases before? And I've spoken on it before here at Southbridge. If God is good, then... But that's assuming that there's an if there, that God might not be good. It should be worded as this. Since God is good, let me view my circumstances in light of that goodness. But what we really do, and this sort of doubt creeps in, which is a poison in against their hope. If God is good, why did this bad thing happen? So you're saying that God might not be good. 
So the circumstances dictate God's character versus God's character viewing the circumstances through his character, right? Hmm. Doubt can be a poison. Doubt will creep in if we're ignorant of the greatness and certainty of God's promises. Are you familiarizing yourself with the promises of the Lord? That's what will inform your boldness. His promises are reliable. So Paul's boldness and Barnabas' boldness is not based on anything that comes from themselves. And that's a kind of boldness, isn't it? Self-confidence or looking at your past experiences. Those are kinds of boldnesses. But the kind that they're demonstrating, a boldness for the Lord, is not something that comes from themselves. It's instead rooted in the hope and the promise of the Lord, which is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, loved ones. Hmm? Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know that? For the Bible told me. I'm getting to know him. That informs my hope. What about you? Are you, are you a doubter? You can admit that to the Lord. He's not surprised, right? What can help undo doubt? It's getting to know him and his promises. And then looking at his track record, that he is faithful, which is about his character, which then will renew your confidence in him. Confidence, then hope. One more. 2 Corinthians, same book, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Next verse. And he died for all, that's Christ, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, talking about believers, the motive of life isn't for self, but for him, that's Christ, who died for them and was raised again. So they're, they're not ashamed. Look at, verse, um, look at verse 20 and 21, this idea of being compelled. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is a sent one. And everyone is an ambassador of Christ that knows Christ. Your mission is to make disciples. And so love, God's love compels them to move forward. And it's the same here. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, speaking boldly, speaking the gospel as we see here in this city, as we saw also in Antioch, Pisidian, every city that these guys have been to, it's happening over and over again, that God is making his appeal through them. We implore you then on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The third thing here that can help inform your boldness. So we've got confidence in God's character. We've got hope in God's promises. And thirdly here, and just last for today, compelled by God's love. See, when we realize the supreme worth of an individual and we realize that we're carrying the message from the creator to creation, we are challenged then to share the gospel no matter what the cost. The message of the gospel is so important and people are so valuable that we must take it to everyone. I heard a, I heard a statistic from a preacher, David Play, he was saying I think there's over 500 million people in northern India that don't know Christ, never heard of him. So what kind of arrogance and selfishness would we have to have to not try to find a way to get the gospel there? It'd, it'd be significant, right? So the third thing that... In, proves our boldness is being compelled by God's love. Are you getting to know his love? And are you seeking to demonstrate it toward others? See, it's love that's willing to tell someone the truth even though that person might not like it. Christians need this as much as non-believers too, don't they? We confront people about their sin and a lot of Christians don't like that. Who are you to judge me? I'm your brother in Christ and it's, it's no judgment, it's blatant. <laughs> not popular. So what's the opposite? What's the opposite then? If God's love compels us to share and to be bold in this life for him, the opposite would be shame, apathy, 
Selfishness, those are poisons to true love. Think about relationships that you have with people that you really love and things are going okay not right now, let's say. What would poison that relationship? Someone living in shame, that means they're going to be hiding and moving themselves in the dark because they're ashamed of who they are or what they've done. Or someone just being apathetic, they're not going to try anymore, they're not going to try to grow in the relationship with you anymore. Or just selfishness. And selfishness is anti-love. True love is yielding to another's best interest. Hmm. And so we see that Paul and Barnabas have this. They've got confidence in God's character. They've got hope in his promises. And they're compelled by his love to that other people would go. So that's why they're willing to go to places they've never been before, to go talk to people they've never met before. Because they love them. A couple scriptures then about shame. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, and Paul is writing to Roman believers, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Because it's the power of God for those, for the salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew and gen, for the Gentile, which we see over and over again in Acts. He's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because of God's character, his power. And it's a power that saves his promise. Again, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 about shame, about being ashamed. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Did you know that Paul, when he talks to his friends that are in these new churches now that he helped plant, he asked them to pray for boldness? You never think that he needs that, you know? But he knows himself then. I'm not going to be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by, whether by my life or by my death. So for me, the motto is this. If I'm going to live, it's for Christ. And if I die, it's gain. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and that's the same as what those boys are basically saying. They were facing the fiery furnace. Hey, if we live, it's for God's glory. We're not going to worship you. We have to worship God because you're not God. You're human just like us. And if we die, it's for God's glory. Awesome. Either way, what are you going to do? Awesome. Confidence. The truth is this. That if we're short to share the gospel of Jesus Christ now as things are in our cultural climate, and they're not that great, are they? Do you think that we'd be more willing or less willing to share if doing so would, be, would cost us something or be punishable? So if you're not prone to sharing the gospel because you're fear, afraid of people now, you don't want to ruffle feathers and you're, you don't have confidence in who God's character really is and you're afraid you don't know enough about the Bible and you're not really sure about God's promises, but you know you should make disciples, but you're not really, you're not really doing that today as most believers don't make disciples, do you think you'll be more prone to do that when things get worse in America or better? And this is why there's an emergency. This is why we have to encourage one another toward love and good deeds so that some might come to know Christ through us. We see here in our text in Acts chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly. And Jesus uh, did the same. I want to share a scripture with you. And Jesus was asked about speaking boldly. It's John chapter 10 verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him, that's Jesus, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. That word plainly is the same word that we get our word boldness from. So what does Jesus say? People are always trying to put him into a corner, aren't they? Here's what Jesus says. <laughs> I did tell you, but you do not believe. And the miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. And isn't it interesting that we have Paul and Barnabas here who are speaking the gospel for the glory of God and for their sake, and the Lord's also allowing them to accompany that message with miracles, and there's still people not believing? See, I think a lot of people today in 2013 think, if I could see Jesus with my own eyes, and if I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, then I'd believe. People saw it then and didn't believe. And then Bar Paul and Barnabas do miracles by the power of God, not by their power, and people don't believe. But speaking is related to boldness. And Jesus says, I've been, I've been bold. Jesus was bold. He said he was the only way to the Father. 
When he met with a woman who was found in sin, he comforted her and said, don't sin anymore. That's bold, isn't it? To tell someone to stop sinning. He met with another person and said, yeah, the person you're living with now is not your spouse. And the several others before that weren't, you know, you're done with them too. He had a way of speaking boldly, but someone knew that, that he was for them. So the word boldness has this connotation of speaking. So boldness then overcomes the temptation to conceal the truth with vagueness. Are you saying Jesus is the only way, Jason? Well, I'm not technically... Let me just, let me start over. Vagueness. Boldness is frank, plain, and straightforward. So that means it's not political. Jason, are you saying Jesus is the only way? Well, let me answer that question with a question. Or, no questions today, like a politician might do. Hmm. So in our text today, we see that Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly. And when we think about proclaiming the word of God, we often limit its boldness to areas that are comfortable. Like, I'm comfortable with you right now, for the most part. Usually just throw up during the week. But what about speaking boldly in places that we're not comfortable? How does that happen? The answer, loved ones, is this. Confidence in God's character, hope in his promises, and compelled by love, his love. How socially correct was it for Paul and Barnabas to speak as they did where they did? Hmm. The truth is, is that boldness must become independent of our circumstances. Only when it feels good. Hmm. That's not true. Anytime, anywhere, I'll share. That needs to be our statement. So when we speak with boldness for the Lord, we are free to say whatever he wishes because the consequences aren't up to us. And that's heavy for me because I want to control things and I want to will people to life change. Guilt them, pressure them, shame them, whatever. It's not real. The consequences are up to the Lord when we speak boldly for him. And speaking boldly for the Lord then is a, is a confidence that's not based on our own persuasiveness or our smartness or our charisma, but based on God's character, promises, and love. So as we wrap up, what can we expect then of living bold lives for the Lord? Look what the scriptures say, verse 4 and 5. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. That's what you can expect, division. And Jesus said so, that homes would be divided. And maybe you've experienced this, where one person believes and another doesn't. We've got people here that come to church by themselves weekly because their spouse doesn't believe, and they're loving their spouse. They want to love their spouse to Christ, and we're praying for them, right? We've got to join with our friends that have spouses that don't know the Lord and pray for them. But homes can be divided because of the gospel. It divides, for sure. It divides because the gospel tells someone you're going the wrong way. Not everyone's interested. Look what happened specifically for Paul and Barnabas. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with the leaders, so that's probably the leaders of the synagogue, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe into the surrounding country, where they remained quiet the rest of their days. No. Where they continued to preach. That's bold, isn't it? And just so you know, as we continue to study the book of Acts, it gets rougher. And they keep preaching. As much as we desire for all to believe, and the text says that many did, and today people still come to know Christ. Pastor Scott preaches the gospel, people come to know Christ. But it's also true that many won't believe and there will be division. That's what we can expect. The scripture tells us that they fled. And I asked myself this week, if they're so bold, why did they flee? And my best answer I can give you from scriptures is that the Lord's Spirit may have informed them to leave so that the gospel could continue on. 
We see that the Lord's Spirit um, told Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt when Jesus was a little one. We see this over and over again. But we also know that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 that when you face certain kind of persecution, flee. But we also know the Spirit sometimes says stay because we know there's martyrs of the faith. People die for the gospel. Hebrews chapter 11 shows us that. And people today are still sharing the gospel. We know that those who have gone on before us shared the gospel unto their death and some are still thriving. There's a gentleman that's been attending our church for a long time on and off, Mr. Condor. He goes door to door at the apartment complexes in Burrow Creek and shares the gospel. Some believe and some don't. It's not for his glory, it's for Christ's. Awesome, right? Why would he have such confidence? How does he have the boldness? He's confident in who God is. He has hope in the promises, and he's compelled by God's love. And actually, all of us are charged to do the same. So I want to encourage you to be bold, because, because you're with God. You're with Christ. It's okay. Consequences are up to the Lord. You've got other believers that are for you and encourage you. Let's pray. Lord, for this day, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, would you guide us and lead us? Lord, would you confront us? For those of us that have struggled with fear, Lord, would you help eradicate that fear, that we wouldn't fear people over you? Lord, for those of us that have been living in doubt, that we're not sure of your character, we're not sure of your promises, Lord, would you inform that doubt, change it to a hope? Lord, for those of us that need to repent of being apathetic toward people around us that are not in your family, that aren't in your kingdom, God, would you give us a love that can only come from you for them? Would you give us a love for the people that have been uh, opposers to the gospel, family members, Lord, that have um, been rude to us as a result of our followership of you, Lord? Would you give us a love for them? Lord, would you help us not to become defensive of ourselves, but defenders of the truth? And Lord, would you just use us as a church family for the sake of this city? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.